following podcast is sponsored in part by the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education and Birmingham Theological Seminary. For more information about these institutions, please visit their websites at bright-va.org. That's B-R-I-T-E-V-A.org or bts.education. And now, here is Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism. Learn your roots, you better learn. Derek singing the Dwight's Root, Learn Your Rules. Well, with that wonderful introduction, welcome back to the Larger for Life podcast. Uh, we are excited to break the curse and the universal rule that the sequel is always worse than the original. We're going to strive for this part two episode on questions 33 to 35 of the larger catechism for them to be even better than the last episode. So by way of review, you remember questions 33 and 34, we cracked the door into this great question of how does the covenant of grace grace, manifest itself differently in the old covenant and the new while the, at the same time maintaining the same substance? So question 55 or 35 of the larger catechism asks this question, what we're going to be discussing today. How is the covenant of grace administered under the New Testament? The answer, under the New Testament, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the same covenant of grace was and still is to be administered in the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper in which grace and salvation are held forth in more fullness, evidence, efficacy to all nations. So, Sean, big question to get our arms around. Uh, when I'm looking at this question, it's talking about Christ the substance, like we talked about last time. And then we're introduced to these simpler but very effective means of, of grace that take us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you want to take a stab at talking about how this new covenant is differently administered? Yes, and, and even in the way that you uh, introduced that question, it leads me to, to want to ever so briefly just point out, don't you love how the catechism is working its way through these traditional systematic theological categories? I mean, it starts with uh, doctrine of Scripture, and you know how how we come to know the truth of who God is through the Word of God, and then it walks us through who God is, so doctrine of God, and then God's providence towards towards man in creation and angels, and then oh boy, sin. So then doctrine of sin or hamartiology. Uh, now we've got a fall on our hands. We've got sinners on our hands. What are we doing now? And then so it, it goes into covenant theology here, as it's talking about this covenant of grace and how it was administered in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this covenant theology serves as a brief little three or four question bridge before we get into Christology. That's coming next. So I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but that's where we're going in uh, the immediate uh, forthcoming weeks as we go through the catechism is we're going to cross this bridge, which is covenant theology, and then start to get into the doctrine of Christ, Christ the mediator, doctrine of Christology, and then on into soteriology. So I just I love the logical uh, way uh, and the flow that the, the, that the Westminster Divines uh, employed in framing uh, the catechism questions and the flow of the larger catechism. So here we are 
at question 35. How is the covenant of grace administered under the New Testament? And yes, for fear of for fear of being overly simplistic, uh, it is worth stating that we move this in this general pattern from more grandiose, more ornate, more complex to simpler. That is the general uh, thrust and trajectory as we move from Old Testament to New Testament. Um, in the Old Covenant, there's this elaborate system of sacrifices. You have these kind of sacrifices for sin offerings. You have this kind of sacrifices for grain offerings. You have this kind, these kind of sacrifices for thank offerings. But if you commit this kind of sin, uh, you offer a you offer a bull. But if you offer, if you have this kind of sin, uh, two. Uh, two doves, but if you're poor, then you do two pigeons instead. And so, and you, and you think of the the sacrifices happening in and around the tabernacle and the temple. It's bloody. It's complex. It's day in. It's day out. There's a a rotation of priests, and some are offering incense, and some are taking care of the slaughtering, and some are doing the cleanup, and some are going to offer prayers. And you got the high priest who's able to go into the most holy place once a year. Complex, ornate, elaborate. And then you come to the new covenant. And there's a once-for-all sacrifice for sin, according to Hebrews, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no further sacrifice to be made. You come to him by faith. The worship that we have in the New Covenant, far simpler than what we had in the elaborate festal calendar and system in the Old Covenant. Uh, you think of all the things that were necessary, the trumpets and the incense and the offerings and the, the prescribed um, priestly garb that had to be worn by the priest. And now what, what, do we, what do we need for the New Testament when we come into New Covenant worship? Well, we need water, loaf of bread, flask of wine, need a Bible, do some singing, need a, a place of some sort to gather. It could even conceivably be outdoors. And we need to pray and read the Bible and preach the Bible and sing praises to the Lord oftentimes using the words of the Bible. Now, some folks would use it, say exclusively, but we would say certainly oftentimes using the words of the Bible to sing praises unto the Lord. And you need water for the sacrament of baptism, and you need a loaf of bread and a flask of wine for the sacrament of, uh, of the Lord's Supper, and you're set to go. More complex, more elaborate, to simpler. All kinds of ordinances in the Old Covenant, but here in the New Covenant, two sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Very simply administered, far reduced in number, not complex in their administration, and yet efficacious, uh, graciously efficacious unto God's people. So there's much more that could be said. I won't say it. I'll turn it over to you, brothers, but there's that. There's a few examples of the general trajectory of complexity to simplicity that we see moving from old to new. Yeah, I've often said to my own congregation how thankful I am to be a new covenant um minister not an old covenant minister um you know an old covenant priest uh i much prefer the simplicity and i think that um in its own way the simplicity of these things um well i think they just very helpfully articulate the gospel the fulfillment of the gospel in a way that um, perhaps the old covenant did not, I mean, it's not, obviously, if you listen to our last episode, um, we believe in topology, we believe in types and shadows and sacraments and all those things in the old Testament. But, um, there's something about that simplicity of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's supper that is, um, just so, uh, sweet and so, um, 
confirming in the faith. Um, and um, I mean, just as simple as, um, you know, I think Derek Thomas t- said something to this effect sometimes in class. He would talk about baptism and he'd say, you know, you need to, in the new covenant, speaking about baptism, and Lord's Supper, he'd say, you need to wash in a meal. You know, God's fatherly care, what does he do? He brings you in, he gives you a wash in a meal. And um, there, there's just something so great about that. But also the fact that, um, you know, grace was and is still to be administered in the preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, the grace that we receive in baptism and the Lord's Supper is not different than the grace that we receive in the preaching of the word. That's right. Um, it's the same grace administered differently. Um, and God is so kind that he and his covenant condescension, his graciousness to us, God is so kind in that he appeals to all of our senses in the new covenant. Um, we have our uh, hearing. We hear the preaching of the word. We hear the proclamation of the law and the gospel. We see baptism. We see the Lord's Supper. We see these things evident in the covenant community. Um, we can taste right the lord's supper um uh we can even smell the elements you know so you 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 start to break all these things down um and god has provided the gospel um to be brought to his people simplistically but in a way that everything uh all of our what essentially what makes us human right Our, our five senses um uh, it, it's it's brought there. And then what a comfort, because if you are deaf, you can still see uh, the elements. You can see those things. If you um, are mute, you're right. You can still hear these. There's so many, um, you know, it's so gracious of God to allow the different ways that grace is administered. The last thing I'll say on this is that, um, you know, I think it was Augustine perhaps, or I might be wrong. Uh, Sean's a historian. He can correct me. But who was it that I always talked about? or that use the uh, word pictures, you know, the, the Lord's supper and baptism, those things, those are word pictures for us, um, depicting the, you know, depicting the gospel for, for our eyes. But I heard a preacher once say that the Lord's supper is, and I use this a lot, the gospel for our taste buds. And, um, I think that's a really great way of, of putting that. Um, so anyways, I, I just kind of wanted to just give some thoughts on how beautiful um, is the simplicity of what we have in the new covenant. Less is more. Yes. Less is more. And I think a lot of Christians, and I grew up this way, I remember thinking, you know, how great would it be to see the temple, to see Solomon's temple at its zenith and to see all the old basins and the altar of incense and to see the miracles of the Old Testament, to see all these great material objects that God used in Israel's redemption, but what the larger catechism and what scripture is stressing to us is that what we have is better. It's simpler, and maybe it doesn't have the same outward pomp and show, but the clarity with which we apprehend the gospel is superior to that of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament types and shadows 
were cast by the cross of Jesus Christ uh, in the same way that the, I don't want to call our New Testament sacraments shadowy, but in a sense, they too are signs bringing us, if we trace the shadows back to their origin, bringing us to faith in the substance and the person of Jesus Christ. And so as I read this question, I, I asked myself when I was really cutting my teeth on Westminsterian confessional theology, how are they better? Well, Christ and salvation are held forth in more fullness, evidence, and efficacy to all the nations. Mm. And J.G. Voss, really focusing in on that last clause, to all nations, this is what he writes, and it's something I hadn't considered, so I'm really thankful for his commentary. He says that the ordinances of the New Testament are more effectual than those of the Old Testament. The ordinances of the Old Testament were effectual, of course, to worshipers who had faith, but the ordinances of the New Testament are more effectual for them because grace and salvation are held forth in more fullness, evidence, and efficacy. And this is what he says. The ordinances of the New Testament are more universal than those of the Old Testament. The ordinances of the Old Testament were limited to the one nation of Israel, under the New Testament, the gospel is to be preached and the covenant of grace administered among all nations. So, to riff on what Derek had said, you can get a wash and you can get a meal in Africa, in Spain, in North America, in South America, in China. You don't need to go three times a year to the temple in Jerusalem for the pilgrimage festivals. And so God's grace, we might say, that that the floodwaters of his grace and that the the levy of his grace is just i mean bursting forth with greater freedom and universality it's it's going out to all the nations the nations don't need to come to the one nation israel we're the israel of god galatians 6 16 says that's amazing and we have the simple means of grace, the word, sacraments, and prayer, these are the means of connecting us with the God of the universe. And Old Testament saints would have killed for this level of intimacy and access that you and I have with God in Christ right now. It's amazing. Yeah, well, it makes me think of, everything you said makes me think of Second Peter 1.19. Um, you know, Peter says, Actually, that whole section there, not just verse 19, but Peter's making the argument, you know, that, um, you know, we saw Christ, the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. We saw his glory, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about the word of God. Yeah. And so um, it's so often, and I think it's honestly, I think, you know, this is part of our fallen human nature um, that we always want. Um, the spectacular, we always want the big vis you know, visible picture and simplicity sometimes runs against what we want. And it really runs against even um, our own, um, you know, culture. Even we want the bigger, the better. We want the 3D, we want the IMAX, we want the virtual. Um, having a, something simple, um, it almost seems ineffective, you know, Um and you think about the sacraments, for example, and that Christ is spiritually present. You know, spiritual doesn't mean artificial, right? I mean, he is truly present right. yes. in, in the word prayer and sacraments and in the means of grace. So, um, 
you know, it also makes me think a little bit of John chapter six, you know, John six, Jesus has just fed, you know, thousands of people and, um, and what happens, they, they say, well, look, Moses did this for us all the time. Give us this bread always. Mm -hmm. And Jesus responds by preaching himself, by preaching the gospel and they all leave. They wanted that. They wanted the spectacular, right? And not the simple, like they wanted the, well, Moses did this all the time. So you get to do this all the time. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not going to do this all the time, but I'm actually the fulfillment of this. I, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they bailed. And I think we can do the same thing now in the new covenant where we're like, man, we want the, the ornate, we want the ritual. We want all this all the time. Um, and then we go, no, we actually have a wash and a meal and you get to hear the word preached and people go, I need something else, you know, and it, no, you actually don't. These are God's prescribed means to grow you for, you know, this is, this is the, um, I think it was Irenaeus said of the Lord's supper. This is, uh, medicine for immortality. Mm. You know, this is, this is what we have for, um, weary pilgrims on the way to the heavenly Zion. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Derek, because our friend Matt has been oddly silent so far. As we've been talking about the superiority of the New Covenant over the Old Covenant administration, the superiority of the simplicity and the efficaciousness of these of this New Covenant administration, he hasn't said much up till now. And so I'm wondering, I think he might be one of those people that you were just referring to that really wants the Old Covenant manner because he likes the bombacity and the elaborateness of it all. He, he He's more... He's more taken taken in by all that. He doesn't like this simplicity that we're living in now in the New Covenant era. You know, I would actually prefer for us to move back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. There's some stray animals around Dylan that I could really use to uh, to offer, you know, my burnt offerings to the Lord. I think he would be pleased in that. Uh, but, you know... If I can't do that, I might as well preach the word, right? Uh, uh, and administer the sacraments. I mean, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but I, I mean, I'm not sure that groundhogs and raccoons were terribly useful in the Old Covenant sacrificial economy. Maybe you know something I don't. Well, you know, they're they're not pure and white. Um, you know, we've got some mangy dogs, uh, <laughs> armadillos moving this way, and and so, you know. Uh, Appropriate sacrifices might be up for debate when it comes to street animals here in Dillon, but but nonetheless, I I, I do um, I do appreciate what uh, Derek is is saying here because one of the things that I often remind uh, the congregants here at First Pres Dillon is uh, you didn't you didn't call me to be your pastor because I was uber uh, inventive, you know it. If it was up to to my imagination or the gimmicks that I could uh, come up with, um, it, we would we would be in terrible trouble. But if we commit ourselves to the ordinary means, right, the these very simple means of grace in which the Lord has established here for his new covenant people, we will be just fine. Uh, the Lord will. Uh, grow us spiritually, uh, Lord willing, numerically, um, and the, and and really what I've what I've seen in these uh, latter generations that are coming up through the churches is is they want simple 
they they want something that is accessible to them that they understand uh you know they understand the movements of the christian faith and so as we commit ourselves in the local church to uh things like uh the sacraments and the preaching of the word in which uh in which the catechism here in question 35 is is pointing to as we uphold christ right uh through the word preached and through the sacraments and ministered uh, they have a, a tangible uh, understanding of how to be built up in in the faith, right? I mean, I think that we all agree with that here. Yeah, and New Testament experience in worship is not inferior uh, to that of Old Covenant worship. It's it's superior because I think Derek used the language in our last episode of the progress of redemption. So I like to think of covenantal theology. I explain it to people this way. There's a cross, you know, sort of drawn on the horizon, and then there's a footpath. And with, and with each step of redemptive history, the cross comes into clearer and clearer view. It's, it's just a little blip on the horizon, you know, for Adam, but he is truly beholding the Savior to come. His eyes are fixed on the same object. But with each step, in redemptive history, we get closer and closer uh, to Jesus Christ. And once we go there, the book of Hebrews is trying to dissuade believers from succumbing to that attraction to high ceremony, novelty, the bells and the smells. Derek was talking about this. There's still something in us by virtue of our being, I'll call it embodied souls. We, we still have flesh. And so our hearts and our minds cry out for tangible, something physical and big and glitzy and glamorous. And Jesus says, I give you two things. Simplicity is not bald. Uh, simplicity is beautiful. I tell when we're doing inquirers class here at Westminster and trying to explain to people why our worship looks very much the same day to day, week to week, that's because we believe that a steady supply of the means of grace is what you need. You don't need an all-you-can-eat buffet where you can kind of pick your preferred worship style a la carte. Like You need three square meals a day. Uh, we give them morning and evening worship. We give them expository preaching of the word, the singing of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And you know what? When we stick to these, that's when our faith really grows and it thrives. New covenant worship is beautiful. It's like a beautiful woman. She doesn't need makeup to be pretty. And if you put a ton of makeup on her and just say, well, let's get really creative here. She looks like a clown. Right? There's that uh, office episode where Phyllis comes in with the, <laughs> the new style of makeup and Dwight's just like, what is that, a clown face? Uh, <laughs> we could get really creative, really wonky. Stop going back to the shadowy, realm of the old covenant. Uh, the, the gospel does not need you to doll it up. It's pretty good. It's amazing the way that God has it right now. And last illustration, because I think it pictures, which would you guys prefer? Would you prefer to go to the Oval Office one time and sit for 20, 30 minutes with your favorite president in history? Or would you rather have that same president come and sit in your living room, your very humble living room in your house, 
once a week, every week for the rest of your life. Right? The Oval Office is pretty cool. Like I've never been, but I've seen pic- people take pictures in there. It looks awesome. Like once in a lifetime experience, mountaintop experience, but only one time. I would prefer to commune and have an ongoing personal relationship with that president, albeit in a simpler context, in a simpler environment. And we get the king of the cosmos condescending to meet with us, commune with us every single Lord's Day. We should prefer that. You should prefer to go to church on August 13th, where the pastor is just going to continue preaching through a book of the Bible, and you're going to observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You should prefer that over, hey, y'all, we've got this new revival, or we're going to go through this vision casting series about the big and new and exciting things that God is doing among us. God's doing really exciting things now. And we should not just be like, oh, I guess I'm content. Like We should be overawed and how much grace there is for us every single Lord's Day. This isn't original to me, and I can't remember exactly who uh, put it up on uh, Twitter years ago at this point, but something that's always stuck with me is, you know, as I kind of piggyback off that illustration that Derek, uh, that Derek mentioned with the, the wash and meal, uh, somebody said on social media, you know, you might not remember every meal, uh, and every meal might not be the greatest thing that you've ever eaten, but it did sustain you. Um, it, it helped you grow. It, it nourished your your body. And in the same way, uh, sermons preached, the word preached each and every Lord's Day, uh, which would be August the 11th uh, in 2024 spin, not August the 13th. But nonetheless, uh, when you go to church on August the 11th uh, on, on the Lord's Day, and and you hear the word preached, it, it might not seem very extravagant. Um, quite frankly, you know, it might not be your pastor's greatest sermon, but he has preached the word of God. Uh, he has done what Paul says. I have not refrained to declare to you uh, the whole counsel of God. I have made it my intention and my mission to preach Christ and him crucified. He has preached Jesus through the word of God, and and it might not be glamorous. It's very simple, uh, but it has nourished your soul. Um, it has strengthened you in the faith. And, and that's something so, so rich about uh, the word preached, especially in a Christocentric way. When you hold up Christ, uh, it is balm for your soul. You know, we've been reading through the Little Pilgrim's Progress during family worship uh, at, at the Adams household, and one of the my favorite scenes in in all of that story is when little Christian in the city of destruction feels that burden of sin upon his back. It, it begins to roll away only as he ascends the hill where the cross is. Um, and each and every time we preach Christ and him crucified, when we declare the counsel of God through the preached word on the Lord's day, it is recognizing, yes, sin exists, but in Christ that sin is being 
uh, rolled down the hill uh, by the Holy Spirit, if I can use that uh, illustration some more, and and we feel the the relief that Christ and His grace gives to weary sinners that are pilgriming onto the celestial city that is heaven. Um, and so there's nothing like it. It's, it's only at the cross of Christ as it's uh, lifted up before the people uh, where the weariness of this world can, can, can disappear as you uh, find your rest in Jesus. And so um, I'm, I, I, I'm loving this conversation, guys. Now, August 11th is the Lord's Day, not August 13th. But that would put August 13th on a Tuesday. So maybe, maybe Spin is preaching one of those Tuesday night revival services, as some of our podcast hosts have been known to do from time to time, to preach those weeknight revival services that don't happen to occur on a Lord's Day. You know, I'm I'm not against a, a good old fashioned uh, sawdust on the ground tent revival, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, there is something to be said about the Lord's Day um, that that uh, that God especially meets with His people there. Uh, he He especially speaks to us through the preaching of His Word. You know, one of the things that I often say as we gather for public worship on the Lord's Day is, yes, we believe in the omnipresence of our God, uh, and yet we know that He especially meets with us uh, on His day, in His house, with His people. Um, and I think that this, this catechism question is, is, is driving that home, that in this new covenant uh, this new covenant life in which we live in Christ, uh, it, there is something special to the ordinary means as they are uh, participated in uh, on the Lord's Day uh, amongst the Lord's people. Yeah, amen. There's a lot to be said for the Lord's Day, in fact. A um, couple of things. We've, we've already touched on these things already, but I thought they were worth uh, mentioning. You know, Spin already quoted from the Voss commentary uh, regarding... Um, the substance of Christ exhibited in the old, in the in the new covenant, as opposed to the, well, in both covenants, in old and new covenants. Um, I wanted to read a few lines from Voss's commentary from that same section because he just so beautifully, I think, helps us appreciate uh, the simplicity that we are moving into, coming out of the old, and into that new covenant administration. Just a few words of of, of what he's saying here. He's talking about the main differences between the ordinances of new and old testament. The ordinances of the New Testament are fewer in number than those of the Old Testament. Chiefly, they are simply the preaching of the word, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, as, as we've already highlighted. Whereas in the Old Testament, there were a large number of ordinances. The ordinances of the New Testament are simpler in nature than those of the Old Testament. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the preaching of the word are all very simple in their nature. Whereas the ordinances of the Old Testament were very complicated and far more difficult and inconvenient to observe than the ordinances of the New Testament. For example, think of the elaborate ritual of the Passover, of the complicated ceremonies of the Day of Atonement, of all the detailed ceremonial laws concerning uncleanness, concerning foods, concerning sacrifices and offerings. For us who live under the New Testament, God has greatly simplified the administration of the covenant of grace. And really, he's, he so succinctly puts in those three or four sentences what we've been getting at already, and, and I quite appreciate that. The other thing, this is going back to what Spin said earlier in the episode, is uh, that language there at the end uh, of the catechism, the, 
grace and salvation held forth in more fullness, evidence, and efficacy to all nations, right there at the end of question number 35. And I was just reminded of years ago, uh, some of the seminary lectures from Dick Belcher, Richard Belcher at the RTS Charlotte campus, and uh, what he was saying really dovetails with what the catechism question is saying here of the administration and the benefits and the blessings of salvation being uniquely and solely given to the people of Israel during that Old Covenant administration. Yes, you had the occasional, you know, naturalized citizen, a foreigner that would come in to be naturalized into the citizenship of Israel, but by and large, it was it was uniquely and exclusively applied, these salvific benefits to the people of Israel. But now here in the New Testament, it's to all nations. It's indiscriminate. It's it's widely and profligately dispersed. And so uh, Dr. Belcher would often make the, the distinction of under the Old Covenant, we had this general come-and-see principle. Come to Israel, come to Jerusalem, come see what God is doing, come see what he's up to. Here's the, the his dealings with his people, here's his saving benefits. But now here in the New Covenant administration, it's a go-and-tell principle. Here's what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now you take this good news and you tell it to the whole world. Take it out there to every corner of the globe, to every nation. Go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. So a difference, an amplification, if you like, not a difference in substance, but an amplification of that good news beyond the bounds of one nation, beyond the bounds of one nation state, certainly, to every nation in the world. Go tell it on the mountain, someone has said in the chat comments, absolutely, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born, that he's come, he's died, he's risen again, and he's ascended into glory, and he's coming again on the clouds. Yeah, Sean, you make a a great point, because what you know, there's multiple things being uh, underlined here uh, or emphasized here in this catechism question. One, of course, is evangelism. Uh, go, go, declare the good news of great joy to all people. Um, there is philosophy of ministry uh, undertones here. You know, be about the word preached, be about the sacraments. Um, but also, you know, there's. The, the catechism is preparing us even for our right understanding of the fourth commandment as well and honoring the Sabbath day, right? Um, making sure that we uh, are about the observance of the Lord's day. Um, and so, you know, I, I just love how, you know, and we've mentioned this a, a ton throughout this uh, podcast that the, the, the continuity between uh, all of these catechism questions, how they're uh, reminding us of things that have already been said. They're preparing us for things that will be said, all so that we might be um, built up in in the faith. And and so, you know, don't you know have all these things in mind uh, as you as you're listening to this. You know, evangelism, uh, philosophy of ministry. Find you know, be a part of a church that that boldly proclaims the word of God. Um, and, and, and so, and, and at the same time, right, you know, be, uh, be committed, uh, to being in attendance, uh, you know, for Lord's day worship in the local church as well. And so all these things are, 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 you know, are coming to light or coming to my mind as we, uh, consider, uh, question 35, uh, as well. Yeah, that, that's right. And, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning just before we, we, we end up closing down this episode. Spin highlighted this earlier, but I just think it's worth reiterating. Uh, he was talking about 
the simplicity, the glorious and beautiful simplicity of New Covenant worship and how how it can be in in China and Brazil and America and Africa and elsewhere. But and, and that really is that's a that's a feature, not a bug, as they say. Uh, the immense portability, if you will, I just wanted to emphasize that the immense portability of New Covenant worship. You know, now all of us here on the show, we we are blessed to have congregations with designated meeting houses. We have handsome, I think, handsome spaces and places in which our congregation gathers to worship. It's very comfortable. It's well-suited to worship. But, you know, New Covenant worship is immensely portable. I mean, when you think of what do you need for New Covenant worship, well, like we mentioned before, you need a Bible, you need a songbook, you need a flask of water, loaf of bread, flask of wine, that's kind of it. Maybe maybe a table, maybe something to set those elements on, maybe a little a platform or of some sort to rest your Bible on. But, I mean, strictly speaking, you don't even need a building. It could be like the old Scottish Covenanters and meet out in the fields under the trees. And, frankly, that's what some of our African Presbyterian brethren are doing uh, are doing even to this day, meeting out in the fields under the shade tree because they don't have designated buildings in which to meet. But that's what you need. You have word and sacrament, prayers and singing, reading the Bible, preaching the Bible— gathered worship, sung praises. That, that's it. You could do it anywhere. Like I said, we have, I think, handsome and lovely Protestant houses of worship, the folks here represented on the show, where we can gather in the comfort of air conditioning in the hot, sweltering southern summers and things like that. But strictly speaking, even that's not necessary uh, because of the immense simplicity and therefore the immense portability uh, of New Covenant-era worship. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sean, I, I think about as you talk about that, I, I had the opportunity uh, towards the end of 2023 to take uh, one of my ruling elders with me to uh, Honduras uh, and Tegucigalpa there in the capital city to a mutual friend's church, uh, Aaron Halbert. And one of the things that he left with is the profound sense of, you know, we didn't speak Spanish. The service was in Spanish. The singing was in Spanish. Um but they did the very same things that we do at First Pres Dillon. You know, we we've we've you know joked around a little bit about the the simplicity uh, of Dillon, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and 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 yet at the very same time, the simplicity of worship, uh, you know, transcends geographical locations. Uh, you know, we confess the same faith. We sing the same psalms hymns and spiritual songs we proclaim the same word of god we participate in the same sacraments with the cup and the bread um you know our prayers sound similar because they come uh to the father as he sits upon the throne of mercy through christ by the power of the holy spirit you know all these things um it it just yeah it just reminds me of how how beautiful uh, an ordinary means ministry uh, really is within the the universal kingdom of our God. And so, you know, with that as our kind of our closing uh, illustration, if you will, uh, it's been a joy to be back with all of our listeners here at Larger for Life. We hope that you've enjoyed our journey through questions 33, 34, and 35. And as we continue uh, our endeavor to uh, 
make a podcast here with all the questions of the larger catechism. We're just scratching the surface of the the great wonders of the larger catechism as it explains to us the doctrines of the faith. And so keep tuning in uh, to us each and every week, and we will uh, see you soon. In the words of our good friend, Nick Bullock, bye-bye. You have been listening to Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism, brought to you by the Blue Ridge Institute and Birmingham Theological Seminary. For more information about this podcast, please visit our website on Podbean at largerforlife.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show in the podcast platform of your choice and browse past episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow us at Larger for Life Podcast, and on Facebook, you can follow us at facebook.com slash largerforlife. Be sure to tune in next time and join us again at Larger for Life. Larger for Life.